Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. You know, each day we live, we have a series of choices of where we spend our time and what to think and how to go about our day. And some people choose to fill the gaps in their day with positive energy and worthwhile things like podcasts. This podcast is born from a deep desire to help us all live a happier life. And the firm belief that a powerful way to make that happen is to open our eyes to new ways of seeing life. So hopefully today in this time together, we'll get a new perspective of how to think and live better. And as always, take a few minutes today to share this podcast with a friend. Send them the link, encourage them to listen. It just might be what they need in their life today. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about this simple fact. You can begin again. Let me ask you a question. Which time period brought us the most accomplished artists in history? In my opinion, it was the century spanning 1850 to 1950, because during this time came masterpieces from Claude Monet, Picasso, Henry Matisse, Diego Rivera, Van Gogh, and Paul Cezanne. Monet was the father of Impressionism, and the term Impressionist was first intended to be a derisive comment made by a critic. But strangely, The name caught on and made the group of Impressionists famous. And no one was more famous than Monet. But despite his fame, his life was far from ideal. When he was young, he and his family were pitifully poor. And after the birth of his first son, John, Monet attempted suicide by throwing himself into the Seine. He was unsuccessful in his attempt, and his troubles compounded when his wife passed away during her second pregnancy. She was only 32 years of age. And Monet was not the only famous artist to have struggles. Despite the value of their works of art today, during their lifetime, while creating so many masterpieces, all of these artists struggled. Some thought they were inadequate. Some doubted their talent and ability. And in the midst of creating their finest work, most were very often discouraged and disheartened. Cezanne, who's called the father of modern art, was far from an instant success. He was rejected by one exhibition after another. And it wasn't until well into his career that he started to gain some acclaim. Most interestingly, he was rarely able to finish a painting. Every time he looked at his partially finished work, he was discouraged. He ripped up nearly completed paintings. And one of his most famous paintings, a portrait of Gustave Geoffroy, was never finished. After three months of Gustav's posing and his painting, Cezanne refused to continue. To 90% of Cezanne's paintings, he didn't even sign his name. Why? He was discouraged. He couldn't deal with the repetition and boredom of it, and he procrastinated. He wandered in his work and never seemed to find the rhythm in his days. And despite his personal battles and struggles with his work, Picasso said the seminal moment in his career was when he went to the gallery of Salon d'Etonne and saw a painting by Cézanne, the Mont Sainte-Victoire. He said he stood in front of it for a long time. He was captivated by it. And after that, critics and Picasso himself would say 
that Cezanne's influence flooded throughout everything Picasso painted. And despite influencing Picasso in such a powerful way, Cezanne didn't think his work measured up. Henry Matisse was an awkward youth and started his career as an unhappy law clerk when he started to study drawing. He wasn't taught to paint, he just started doing it. And as he gained some acclaim, critics called his painting bestial and primitive, and it would take years and years to find his way. And despite his acclaim today, Van Gogh was largely dismissed during his lifetime. He was seen as dangerous as he roamed the streets of Arles. Because of this, he sold only one painting after a decade of his efforts. His poor health caught up to him, and it soon became apparent he had been suffering from both physical and mental illness. As a result, stories arose of the crazed Van Gogh who mangled his own ear. However, it was during this very time, the time of his immense struggles, that Van Gogh created his most famous masterpieces, including Starry Night. In 1889, while at the Asylum of St. Rome, Vincent Van Gogh wrote the following to his brother. Now I, as a painter, shall never amount to anything important. I'm absolutely sure of it. For years, his destiny, his success, and his purpose in life eluded him. He heard voices inside his head, and they would eventually take over his mental well-being. But today, when I look at Starry Night, or my favorite Van Gogh, The Red Vineyard at Arles, I have to ask, how could Van Gogh paint Starry Night, something so masterful, and at the same time doubt his talent? As you know, Starry Night is featured at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. Its value, estimated at $200 million. By the way, Starry Night was painted two months after Van Gogh told his brother he would never amount to much as a painter. I find it incredibly interesting that these artists who created the world's masterpieces doubted. They were discouraged. They were disheartened through their years of work. And they had within them this incredible talent, but they were discouraged much of the time. I think this teaches us a critical lesson about our own path to success. You see, many of us think that if we're struggling, somehow we're not on the path to success. Or if it doesn't feel good every day, we're not headed in the right direction. When the truth is, success is a series of non-fatal mistakes and masterpieces are created in days of showing up discouraged. Just like these seminal artists, we all doubt, don't we, from time to time. And for many of us, that doubt causes us to defer action, invite procrastination, and to be discouraged. And this prevents you and me from bringing to life's canvas what we have always hoped and dreamed of doing. But there is a simple solution to this doubting and discouragement. And we learn it from these very same artists. Let's take Van Gogh's Starry Night, for example. While at the asylum at St. Rome, where he stayed for almost a year following the mutilation of his ear, Van Gogh would look out his window. Starry Night was actually his attempt to capture the view from the window of his room. He painted the star he had seen outside his window by applying paint from the tube directly to the canvas. The result was the wavy, dreamlike images that make his painting so famous. But Van Gogh just didn't sit down and paint the masterpiece. 
he painted the same view several times, with each interpretation being a bit different from the last. That means he started over and started over and started over. And each start was informed and improved by the last attempt. And each time he would begin again, he would have a better idea of how to apply the paint, make the next view better than the last. And for him and thousands of other artists, beginning again is just the way you paint a better painting. In fact, many artists of the day use the same canvas over and over again. Money was too tight to keep buying new canvases. Underneath one of Van Gogh's paintings of a peasant woman, scientists have discovered the painting of a man with a scarf and a hat. It was a self-portrait of Van Gogh himself. Underneath his painting of Still Life with Metal Flowers is a painting of two half-naked wrestlers. Here's the point. To get a masterpiece requires you start over and start over more than once. So, in pursuit of whatever you're doing, raising kids, building a business, working on improving yourself, overcoming a habit, losing weight, you can begin again. In pursuit of your life's purpose, it's expected that you begin again over and over. Beginning again is a core component of getting better. You know, a skilled minister once was asked, if you only had one sentence with which to share a single idea that would have the largest impact to change the lives of those listening, what would that sentence be? And she responded, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've been through, it's never too late to begin again. And I agree with this wholeheartedly. In fact, I believe this is one of the reasons that God gave us both day and night, so that we could begin again 30,000 times in our lifetime. In fact, sleep is a way for us to wash away the past, to forget what has gone before, and to wake up new. Everyone needs sleep, but did you know that its biological purpose remains a mystery? It's not entirely obvious its purpose. Well, sleep helps tissues and systems in the body to regenerate from the brain to the heart to the lungs to metabolism to immune function to mood and disease resistance. And research shows that a chronic lack of sleep or getting poor quality sleep increases the risk of disorders, including high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease and diabetes and depression and obesity. So sleep is important to a number of functions, including brain functions, including how nerve cells communicate with each other. In fact, your brain and body stay remarkably active while you sleep. And recent findings suggest that sleep plays a housekeeping role to removing toxins in your brain that build up while you're awake. So sleep regenerates the body and gives you a chance to start again. I find it interesting that for millennia, God has known and designed a way for our bodies to regenerate and to give us a new start to every day we've spent, whether that spending was good or bad, productive or not, in service or not. We can begin again each day. And this is a gift from God. This is also a pattern for us in our life, that we're supposed to throw out the old and bring in the new, that we are to begin again. Joyce Meyer tells this story. A young minister, who we'll call Eric, decided to take piano lessons. And one day, his piano instructor announced that she had scheduled Eric to play in a competition, and he would be required to play in front of a panel of judges who would grade his performance. 
Well, the Saturday morning of the competition arrived, and Eric practiced his piece repeatedly beforehand until it was finally time to face the judges. As he entered the room, he greeted the judges and made his way to the baby grand piano. After exhaling slowly, he placed his fingers above the keys and began to play. To his delight, the first few measures of music came out perfectly, and it appeared the months of practice had paid off. His teacher smiled in the back of the room, and Eric visibly relaxed as he worked his way through the introduction of the assigned piece. But his confidence didn't last long. Moments later, musical disaster struck. His hands froze over the keys, and not knowing where to go, inexplicably, Eric had forgotten the next note. Nervous, confused, and not knowing what to do, he stopped playing altogether. Dejected, he hung his head low. How could this have happened, he thought. I practiced so hard. And looking at the panel of judges, he said sheepishly, I'm really sorry. I seem to have forgotten the piece. I'm afraid that if I keep going, it's only going to get worse. Should I just stop here? Eric's piano instructor walked toward him, bent over, and whispered three sentences into his ear that changed his entire disposition. Don't worry, she said. It's not too late. You can begin again. In the midst of despair, those words were exactly what he needed to hear. Don't worry, it's not too late. You can begin again. And it never occurred to Eric that he would be able to start the piece over. So he calmed himself, started over, and played the piece beautifully the second time through finishing to the applause of the judges and his delighted teacher. Now, like Eric, you and I can start over. When you're feeling stuck, start over. When you're feeling unsure, start over. Perhaps some of you were building a business, and years ago you built that business to a certain level, but your efforts of late have left your business earning less revenue than it did years ago. Admit where you are, admit you let things slip, and start over. You can start again, and in doing so, bring your business to new heights. You see, often we get caught in the trap of not starting again because we're worried of what people will think. That's what keeps us stuck. But if you adopt the I can begin again mentality, it doesn't matter where you are today or what people think. It only matters where you are going. So if all of this is true, then how do we begin again? Because it isn't as easy as you think. I mean, if it was easy, many of us would already do it, right? Or perhaps many of us have started again, but that restart didn't work like we thought, and we wonder, can we start again more than once? Well, you can. And the first thing that helps us is to open our eyes and focus almost exclusively on what is before us. You see, you can't start the next chapter of your life if you keep rereading the last one. In speaking on this topic, John Maxwell quotes this statistic, that the average successful entrepreneur in America has an average of 3.8 failures before they make it in business. What have been some of the biggest business failures of all time? Well, there's quite a list. And it includes Quaker buying the drink brand Snapple for $1.7 billion. And just a few years later, beaten by the competition, they sold it for $300 million. Early in Google's history, Larry Page offered to sell Google for $750,000. And the company Excite turned it down. Today, Google is worth hundreds of billions of dollars. But one of the famous failures happened several decades ago. Coca-Cola and Pepsi were in the middle of a fierce competition. And both 
were bidding against each other in large contracts with restaurants and event venues. Both were spending hundreds of millions of dollars in ad campaigns to take market share from each other. And at the time, taste tests suggested that consumers preferred the sweeter taste of Pepsi. So Coke execs commissioned a secret project. The project was named Project Kansas. And Coke developed a sweeter tasting Coke that beat Pepsi in taste tests, surveys, and focus groups. Company executives rejected the idea to make and sell the new flavor as a separate variety of Coke. They thought they already had too many varieties. They also rejected the idea of just tweaking the formula of Coke over time and not telling the public. They believed if they were going to make a change, they had to do it publicly. So, new Coke was released on April 23rd. And Coke described the new flavor as a complete replacement of regular Coke. The new flavor was bolder, rounder, and more harmonious. The launch was backed by a huge marketing campaign. And immediately, Coke sales went up 8% over prior year. But then something happened that the executives didn't expect. A ground-level outcry against changing Coke started to swell across the country. Coke ads were booed during games at the Houston Astrodome. A number of people formed a group called the Old Cola Drinkers of America to lobby Coke to bring back the old flavor. And Pepsi took out full-page ads making fun of the move by Coke. Soon, customer boycotts, bottler uprisings, and other challenges forced Coke to do a reversal. So on July 11th, just months after the launch, Coke announced the return of the original formula. They were beginning again. But interestingly, soon the original formula sales exceeded the sales prior to the change. The cost of this misjudgment was $100 million spent on the advertising campaigns. But looking back today, what was the end result of the effort? What happened? Well, the attention Coke got worldwide during the introduction of New Coke was far more beneficial than having spent the $100 million on advertising. The bringing back of Coca-Cola Classics solidified in the minds of consumers just how much they liked and valued Coke. And the company has prospered ever since. Today, Coca-Cola owns 18% of the global soft drink market. Pepsi captures a distant 8% of the market. Coke's brand value is estimated at $67 billion and Pepsi's at $10 billion. Here's the point. Even in the midst of mistakes, you can always stop and begin again. Sometimes a failure is exactly what you need to confirm your direction and begin again. You know, I've seen a lot of business builders over the years have a time in which their business didn't grow, when it even went backwards. And often, it was this failure, this going backwards, and the learning from it that gave the leader the reason, the opportunity, the motive to regroup and get better and move forward in a stronger, more deliberate way. And in the end, beginning again was exactly what their business needed. You know, John Maxwell teaches that we get our view of failure wrong. There are some absolute things that failure is not. People think failure is avoidable. It's not. Everyone fails. We all make mistakes. If you've been in business long enough, you will have a major failure or two. There are not failures, 
only lessons to be learned. People think failure is an event. It's not. Just as success isn't a destination, neither is failure. It's just part of the journey to reaching your goals. You know, one of the most significant ways we need to open our eyes is to stop judging isolated situations in our lives and labeling them as failures or successes. Instead, we can see the road ahead, that it is a long-term road, and a temporary dip in speed does not define who we are. People think failure is objective. It's not. You are the only person who can define failure for you. If you learned and grew as a result of a mistake, is it a failure? Probably not. People think failure is the enemy. It's not. As the great author said, the essence of man is imperfection. And I would say the essence of learning and becoming who you're supposed to become is learning from and embracing imperfection. NBA coach Rick Pitino, who's made plenty of mistakes in his career, said, failure can be good. It's fertilizer. Everything I've learned about coaching, I've learned from making mistakes. People think failure is irreversible. It's not. There's always a path to learning and getting better. Sometimes it may take a wholesale restart, but there's always a path. Last, people think failure is final. It's not. I've often said, if I could go back and raise my adult children again, this go-around, I would let them fail more often. I wouldn't jump in to ensure they win or get a grade or avoid mistakes. I would want them to learn from their own failures and understand that failing and beginning again is the pattern of life. They would be better prepared for what they're facing in their lives today. It is never too late to begin again. And I'll say that again. It's never too late for you to begin again. Too often, we've been living with a habit or a way of life or mediocre performance for so long, we believe we're destined to never rise or reach our goals, that somehow other people can build that business or change a habit, but we are unable or too comfortable to begin again. I mean, I get it. It's hard if you've tried before and failed again. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Remember, there's 30,000 days to help us begin again. And if it takes 29,999 of those days, keep trying. Because for most habits or behaviors or businesses or failures, change, real change, is not a quick fix. But that doesn't mean you can't begin again. And this time, have your sights fixed on the longer path to success. Because at the end of the long path, you will be a new and better person. And the effort, the time, will be worth it. Remember, don't buy into the lies that your mind and others will whisper to you. Maybe a parent said you'd never amount to anything. That was a lie. Maybe a teacher said you didn't have what it takes to succeed. That was a lie. Maybe a spouse or friend abandoned you and you believe you're unlovable. That is also a lie. Maybe you failed for a time in your business and you feel inadequate. That's a lie. Maybe you said to yourself, I haven't done what I should have done for a while. And you feel like you aren't worth the effort. That is a lie. I know a lot of business people who built a solid business a few years ago and believe that somehow they got lucky and can't do it again. That's a lie. They may have gotten lucky, but if they do the same work in the same way again, my bet is luck will find them. You know, some of these business owners believe that they're too old. 
that they can't relate to the ideal demographic for their product. That is a lie. Others believe that the market has changed and they can't compete. That's a lie. The market may have changed, but you can always compete. And you can always begin again and find a way. A few years ago, 24-year-old Lauren and her mom went to a friend's house for dinner following a church service. The house was located next to a private airport. While at dinner, one of the people there, a family friend, asked the homeowner if he could borrow his single-engine plane to take a few people up to see the Christmas lights in town from above. Always up for an adventure, Lauren said she would love to go. So they walked out to the hangar. Lauren slid into the seat behind the pilot. They put on the headphones so they could talk to each other during the flight. The pilot went through the checklist, started the plane, taxied down the runway, and took off into the air. The night was dark and rainy, and shadowy clouds were thick above them. Lauren had an uneasy feeling and wanted to be back on the ground as soon as possible. While the lights looked incredible, Lauren wanted to be back on safe ground. So the pilot finished the short flight and they landed safely back at the airport. Anxious to get out of the plane, Lauren slid out of the back seat, her feet touching the tarmac. It was pitch black dark. It was raining. And she turned and took two steps, two steps that would change her life. Cheryl, Lauren's mom, was back at the house when she heard screaming. Shannon, her host, was screaming, I think she lost her left hand. It's Lauren. Lauren. Instantly, Cheryl sprinted out to the airplane hangar. There she saw Lauren laying on the tarmac, crumbled in a heap, with her left arm underneath her body and a pool of blood spread out beneath her. Cheryl put her hand on Lauren's head to brush back her hair, but when she did, she realized her head was covered in blood. Lauren could hear Shannon on the phone with the ambulance. A girl walked into an airplane propeller. I need an ambulance immediately. And the dispatcher responded, Where are you at, ma'am? What has happened? To which Shannon said, I think it cut off her hand. It only took minutes and a medevac helicopter arrived. And when the paramedics arrived, they saw Lauren had lost a lot of blood. She had cuts to her head, a skull fracture, and a severed arm. As they lifted Lauren onto the stretcher and into the medical helicopter, she yelled, Why is my hand white? Her severed hand was on the stretcher with her. When her parents got to the hospital, they saw that Lauren was hooked up to several tubes and monitors. Half her head was shaved and one eye was covered. A thick bandage was wrapped around her left shoulder and her arm was completely covered as well. Lauren was heavily sedated, but what she later learned is that in the dark, she had turned the wrong way and walked into the propeller. The pilot had not kept the passengers in the plane until the propeller stopped. And when she walked into the propeller, it had severed her hand and damaged her head around her eye. Only one sixteenth of an inch of the propeller made contact, but at its speed, it was enough to kill or maim. What doctors learned was her eye had been sliced almost completely in two. Her skull and facial bones had been fractured above and below her eye socket. They had planned to remove her eye but they didn't when it started showing signs of healing. And because of the location of the cut to her hand, they decided they could not reattach her hand. Subsequent brain, eye, and arm surgeries would help Lauren recover, but today she lives without a hand and suffers from lingering effects from the accident. She said that over and over again, as she thought about that night, she wished that she had been patient or even not taken that flight that evening in Dallas. 
every time she thinks about a mistake, she said, I would get sick inside. Well, Lauren went through a lot of months of years of wondering what happened to her life. As a fashion professional, her physical looks were important to her, as was her hand. And she didn't know what the future held for her. She would think to herself, my life is ruined. I'm ugly. I will never be loved. But she said she finally came to a realization that she was never going to be who she was physically, that she had to put on a new view and begin again. She said, I knew I had to trust God rather than give in to my insecurities, which filled me with self-doubt and fear about what lies ahead. My accident has led me to ask and hopefully begin to answer one final question. How can my life be used for something bigger than me? Well, God has also opened doors so that I can begin to speak publicly to people about my experiences. It is a way for me to start over. So, as we end today, remember, you too can begin again. You too can start over. Like an artist's painting, you can start with a new canvas and paint a new, better version of the life you've been imagining. Don't listen to the lies that tell you it's too impossible or too hard to start again. You can. Don't define mistakes as failures. Define failures and the learning you get as a reason to begin again. Remember, you can begin again, smarter, wiser, with better perspective, and ready to tackle the road ahead. Because with your failure, you know a bit more about the road ahead. And I believe God is a God of new beginnings. And He just needs us to begin again so He can go about bringing about a new you and me. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.